The one thing that I would say, uh, you know, even to myself, if I could have, you know, talked to myself 20 years ago was, you know, just educate yourself in finances. I mean, I'm not a, you know, a, a formally educated individual when it comes to degrees or, you know, that type of thing. But I became a, a really big, you know, reader, studier of, you know, how to invest. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode 232. Just wanted to begin this episode with a review we received on iTunes. It's from Jake K Rogue one two three. Changes your perspective. Excellent content. It changes your perspective on what it takes to be financially successful. I've loved the variety of opinions and strategies you're exposed to from episode to episode. Hosts do a very do very well at ensuring that the listeners get all of the important information. Appreciate that, Jake Rogue. Once again, we'd love you to leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher. It continues to help us grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. Speaking of, this week we have James. He's a former business owner and recently retired. He has a net worth of $6.2 million spread across a very diverse group of assets. It's a fantastic interview. Super excited to uh, have this interview with James. Last week we had Jay. He's a young millionaire, net worth of just over $1 million, worked in cybersecurity, and drives a Maserati for all you aspiring car enthusiasts out there. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with James. James, you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Um, been married for 31 years, have a uh, 27-year-old daughter, ran a commercial roofing company, uh, was president for 21 years and had been employed there for 34 years in the southeastern United States uh, and recently retired uh, at the end of 2020. Wow, awesome. So, retiring in the middle of a, a pandemic, how did that all, before we get into your net worth and stuff, how did that all kind of shake out with you making that that move, you know, in the middle of the pandemic? Well, it was something that, uh, you know, I had had in my mind that, um, you know, somewhere 2022, 2023 was probably going to be pretty close to when I wanted to walk away. Uh, through some circumstances, uh, my daughter's got a, uh, a health condition that uh, I guess probably sped up the process. Uh, also, you know, we had had several good years at the company that kind of sped it up financially. And, you know, over the summer, of last year, my wife and I, I told her that I was thinking about speeding up my timeline and, you know, I had run the financials, run the budgets multiple times. And, you know, uh, she was concerned about, you know, time management. I'm, I'm pretty much a, a scheduled person. And she was concerned about, you know, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? How are you going to fill your time? And, and when I could answer those questions sufficiently for her, she said uh, she kind of signed on board. And then I had told my partners and our board of directors uh, in September. So, you know, we could do the final quarter, you know, it's kind of winding my my presidency there, the company down. And, you know, I had some junior partners there that they were going to take the company over, become presidents, take my board seat. And then, you know, then it was just a matter of, we had a pretty straightforward buy sell agreement. Uh, it was just a matter of kind of, you know, filling in what the numbers 
came up to me at the end of the fourth quarter and uh, they gave me my buyout and they're running the company now. Awesome. So what is your net worth today? Uh, today it's uh, $6.2 million. And how is that divided up? Uh, I would say, let's see, my personal home is uh, about a million dollars. Uh, I've got cash on hand at uh, probably 1.1, give or take. Uh, I've got a taxable investment account uh, that's about a million four fifty. My wife and I's IRAs and 401ks combined are at about a million thirty thousand. I've got a two hundred thousand dollar annuity. Uh, we've got what we call an alternative investment account. It's some uh, gold, silver, some cryptocurrency at probably about $75,000. And then I have eight uh, rental properties valued at close to about a million one. Wow. So you got quite the diversity, quite a bit in uh, your, your home and some cash. Is the home completely paid off then? Yeah, I don't have any debt. I've got a... Um, I've got a $250,000 line of credit at the bank that I've drawn down maybe seven or $8,000 on just to keep it open. Uh, but other than that, I'm completely dead. And, and how long ago did you decide to pay off the, the primary residence? Uh, we paid it off. I don't know the exact date, but I'd say it's been uh, free and clear. We built the home about seven years ago. So I would say it's been free and clear about four years. Okay. Did you put it on a 15 or 30 year mortgage initially when you bought it? Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't even think they offer this mortgage anymore, but it was basically an interest only um, for 10 years. And then whatever principal you had left amortized out for the balance of the 20 years. And we had it paid off the running a small business. Obviously, you know, there's some ups and downs in profit distributions and so forth. So I basically took the cheapest monthly mortgage that I could get. And then, you know, as the, you know, if we had a good year or something, I mean, I may cut a check for $100,000, or something on it at a time to pay it down. And we just did that, you know, till we got it paid off. Interesting. So a million in cash. Why so much in cash? Well, because I just have got my, um, my retained earnings out of our business. And so I'm kind of slowly dollar cost averaging it into, you know, into my taxable investment account. Uh, I've purchased a uh, one rental property since I've been retired and trying to look for at least one more. I kind of want to see what Washington, the policies are. And again, just kind of slowly dollar cost averaging it in. That's way more than I would keep normally. But I got a, a fairly nice uh, check for my retained earnings out of our business. Interesting. So as you've gone on this journey, I mean, pretty well diversified at this point, cash, get the home equity, got the the different investment accounts. What did this look like, you know, say 25, 30 years ago? And how has that evolution taken place now to, to where you land with your allocation today? You know, like most people, I started, you know, putting stuff in a an index mutual fund to start with. Quite honestly, not knowing a tremendous amount about investing. I, I was one of those that, you know, let's start putting some money somewhere and then we'll figure it out, which was, you know, looking back, the completely wrong way to do it. Uh, and thank goodness it didn't cost me any more than what it what it did. But, you know, as the account grew and as our income grew, I've been with three different financial advisors now and really like the one that, that we're in with now the way he's got the diversification and all set up. 
but uh, mainly had just started trying to educate myself, uh, you know, probably, you know, 20, 25 years ago. So again, I don't, I don't consider myself anywhere near what, you know, my financial advisor is, but I like to consider myself an educated consumer of his services. So, so James, let me jump back to the retirement. What are you going to do to fill your time? You know, it just uh, it's for the first time. My my father had actually started our our business in 1970, and he was the type that you know, if if I had you know more than three days off from school or summers or anything, I was always working there at the at the at the business. So it's been really nice just to have my time to whatever I decide to do that day. I, I'm making that decision for really the first time in my life. I mean, I've got some hobbies that I do. Uh, my wife keeps me busy with some things around the house to do. Uh, I still enjoy doing some of my real estate with the rental properties. I still have uh, some interest in the building that the company's in. So, you know, it, it, it keeps me busy. I'm Quite, not quite as uh, in a hurry to get stuff done as I used to be, but I certainly stay busy. Yeah, I was going to ask you about having 34 years with the same company, but interesting that your dad started. Was it hard to leave then? Yes and no. I mean, there's obviously an emotional attachment there, and I, and I tried to separate that from the purely, you know, the financial part of, you know, where I was and what I wanted to do. Yeah, it, it was. And, you know, this is the first time that, you know, uh, somebody in our family hasn't been in the construction industry. My dad and I figured it up as close as we could get in almost 80 some odd years. My grandfather was actually in the same industry working for, wow. you know, as a superintendent for another company uh, years and years ago. But uh, yeah, there, there was a certain, um, you know, uh, an emotional attachment there uh, to that business that, you know, that my father had started. But you know, at the end of the day, I had to look out for, you know, my wife, my child, my family. And, you know, the it's a you know, it's a stressful and, and somewhat risky industry. And, you know, a 50 year old construction industry there, they're out there. But that is not the norm. And, you know, it, I just felt it was from a financial standpoint, we could walk away. And there was things that I could do with my money that was a lot less risky. And I just I just thought it was doing a disservice to my family from a financial standpoint to stay there, even though, you know, the, the company had done very well over the years. Uh, you know, we had it was the main source of our income for forever, as long as my working career was. But, you know, you just don't ever know when that that one really bad thing might happen in the construction industry and a large chunk of that might go away. Hmm. Interesting. So did you have a number before you wanted to retire, a net worth number, a passive income number? You know, it's it's hard to say what exactly the number was. I mean, we I, I've always been a you know a, a saver. I mean, I was putting you know money away, you know, from really almost from the first paycheck that I ever drew. I, I wouldn't say there was so much of a number, but you know what we what I did when I was making the decision, you know, I kind of looked at our lifestyle and what we owed, and I tried to get you know uh, what we did get. We got all the debt off the books, so to speak. You know, we had no mortgage. We've gotten, uh, you know, no debt on our rental properties. You know, we own everything free and clear. And so at that point in time, it was just, it, and my wife actually still works. So what do we truly need, you know, on a monthly basis? You know, we're, we can almost cover that in rental income. My wife still works and that's not even, you know, pulling any money off of, you know, our cash on hand, our, you know, investment accounts or anything like that. So, 
I wouldn't say there was a number. We just looked at it more along the lines of, okay, you know, what have we accumulated and what do we truly need? And, you know, yeah. one, you know, outweighed the other. So, yeah. How much do you spend a year? I would say, uh, you know, we, on a typical month, we can make it on, you know, seventy five hundred, eight thousand a month, just going out to eat, you know, hobbies, that kind of thing. We do like to travel. So, you know, when there's a nice trip that comes up, you know, obviously that, you know, kind of breaks the budget a little bit. But I, I would say, you know, we can easily, you know, taxes, trips, everything, you know, one hundred forty thousand a year. OK. And then the home equity, you say about a million dollars. How much did you buy the home for? You had it for a while or a recent purchase? Uh, we built it. Uh, we built it uh, seven years ago, actually, this month. And um, we intended this to be Idle and Forever Home, which I don't think now that it actually will be. <laughs> Uh, we we probably did some things that added to some value for us for some longevity of the house uh, that we you know may not get our money back on. That being said, I think I've got about eight fifty in it. Uh, it's probably like I said worth about a million now. Gotcha. So let's go through the the millions here, James. When did you become a millionaire? How old were you? I don't have the exact date, but I would say probably thirty five, thirty six, somewhere in that neighborhood. And then how soon did the others come? Oh, that's uh, that's hard to say because, uh, you know, our our income was so up and down. I mean, it's uh, some years, you know, combined my wife and I taxes, you know, might have been three hundred thousand. Some years it was eight hundred thousand. So it's I, I really don't know when it was, you know, when the other ones were. I don't I don't have a, a track per year. OK. OK. Fair enough. And then the, the company from your dad, you just worked there for years and then he decided to retire. Yeah, he he retired in 96. And so he was retired, but still owned some stock. And we had a private equity industry roll up people approach us in 99. So I had purchased some stock from him. Uh, The private equity company came in, uh, bought the stock out from all the shareholders, you know, which gave me a multiple of the of the investment that I had just made, you know, a couple of years before private equity just does not run construction companies very well. And then we ended up purchasing the company back uh, from bank of America, you know, 18 to 24 months after they had taken it over. And I was actually named president when they purchased uh, the company. So I, I actually, you know, I, I was, I became president in 99. So what did you do when the company, you, but you kept working for the company when the private equity company bought it? Yeah, I, at that point in time, I went under a um, you know management contract for them, a non uh, non compete clause, the whole thing with them, and they mm-hmm. instead of being just a vice president, project manager, they put me in as president at that point in time, and then you know I continued being president when we purchased the company back from Bank of America. So James, you're at six point two million here. Do people in your family or friends do they know that? My daughter does, and she's actually getting married in September uh, to a really good guy that uh, we're looking forward to having him part of the family. Uh, he knows where we're at because I, you know, the one thing my parents and her parents, either one did, uh, and again, it's I, I'm assuming it's a generational thing. You know, at that age, they're they're very tight with their money as far as you know, it's just not talked about with the family. You know, I don't even know where my parents bank at. But with with our with our daughter and with her fiance, uh, I just think that's doing a disservice to them for them not to know. Because, again, you never know. I mean, you know, if, if 
something was to happen to my wife and I tomorrow, you know, I want them to, for the, at least from a financial standpoint, that to be as easy of a transition through a difficult time as it could be. So they're, they're both very well versed on what we have and where it's at. Now, as far as friends and so forth, no, I mean, I don't consider us, we don't live a tremendously lavish lifestyle more so than any of our other friends that we hang out with. I mean, they know that obviously I've done something right to retire at 54, but they, as far as actual numbers or whatever, they, they don't have any idea. So in talking to your daughter, what's your take on generational wealth? You know, I want to be able to leave as much as I can to her. Uh, I would certainly rather go to her than the government or whatever. But, you know, we also have told her that, you know, our intention is, you know, to enjoy what we've worked all of our lives uh, accumulating. You know, we provided her a, a very good education. She's in the process of writing her dissertation for her doctorate degree, and she has no student loan debt. She's certainly going to be able to make a very nice living for her. Her fiance's got a master's degree, very hard worker. They're both two bright individuals. They can make their own. But that being said, I do want to leave them whatever's left. And we intend to be, you know, good stewards of what we've been blessed with. But uh, but we all also do intend to enjoy it. So. Is there anything that in particular that you like to indulge on? Uh, you know, we both like to travel. Uh, we're looking forward to, you know, once the pandemic's completely, you know, over with, whatever that looks like is, you know, to get back and start start traveling. We've we've been fortunate enough, I think, last time, 33 or 34 different countries. And, you know, a lot of that we had taken our daughter on when she was younger. And uh, But we're looking forward to traveling on our own. And that's, you know, that's probably the one thing that I truly don't mind spending money on and I don't really pinch pennies on is, is our travel. Uh, we, we really enjoy those experiences. So when we're able to get back doing that, I'm sure that, you know, there'll be some, some money to go towards that. What does that look like when you travel? I mean, are you staying in five-star resorts and, you know, spending whatever you kind of feel like on food and entertainment or – you know, flying first class. What does that look like for you traveling as as somebody who's worth six plus million dollars? Yeah, if uh, if we're if you know, our rule of thumb is if it's more than a three hours on the plane, we we try to travel first class, and we do you know like a nice hotel. We we try to look at it as this may truly be the only time we're in this place, and if that means we get a private tour or first class because. That makes us a little more refreshed when we get there and a nice meal and that type of stuff. Yeah, we we will indulge ourselves on that. And if that means we need to cut back in the, some other areas before or after the trip, we will. But uh, the travel is the one thing that we we truly, you know, for the most part, we don't really pay attention to what it costs. We you know, my wife is um, she she's good with getting a bang for our buck, but we don't mind throwing a few dollars at, at a travel on a, on a nice trip. When did you decide to, to start flying first class? Travel was something growing up. My family never really did and hers didn't either. And and quite honestly, I, you know, as bad as I hate to admit it, I, I was petrified of actually flying. I had done very little of it when we had got married. And my wife, uh, I think my daughter was five or six years old, and she had decided that she wanted to take a a Mediterranean cruise. And I kind of balked at it and didn't really want to do it. And, and at that point in time, you know, other than, you know, Florida and stuff for a, a summer trip with, you know, my family growing up and with her, that's about all the traveling I had done. And, you know, and I came home one day and 
she said basically said, you know, look, we've booked it. We would love for you to come, but it wasn't necessary whether I did or not. They were going, so I decided that I figured I better get on board. And uh, and they, they booked another uh, plane ticket. <laughs> we, uh, we went to the Mediterranean. So, and, and I'm glad to put it that way because, like I said, it's really become something that we're both very passionate about. And on my own, I would have I would have never done it. Uh, and I just think it. The experiences you get, and it just, I think, quite honestly, it just makes you a better, more well-rounded person travel does. It makes you more understanding of different peoples and cultures, and I've really enjoyed it. And I'll, I, I'll, I'll get over my fear of flying for that. I, I, we've, we've, we both have thoroughly enjoyed our trips. Is there a place that you've been that you would say is your favorite or that you want to return to? Yeah, we really love uh, Paris and France in general. Uh, <clears throat> we took a really nice trip to Thailand uh, when my daughter was in high school. That was uh, a lot of fun. We took a, uh, a northern European cruise, and we actually spent – on that trip, we were actually able to spend three days in St. Petersburg, Russia, and it was just a fascinating city. We really liked it. I would love to do that that entire trip over again one day. But, you know, there's just so many cool places to go. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll redo some of them here and there. And we've been to Paris three or four times, but, you know, it always seems to be, well, we haven't been here and let's try it instead kind of thing. So, Yeah, totally. So, James, are you planning on investing any more money going forward or is this basically, hey, I've retired, I'm going to continue to withdraw from my rentals and my portfolio over time? And and kind of right off into the sunset as you spend the next 30, 40 plus years of, of your life. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we don't have the income coming in that we did while I was working. But, you know, the cash that we have on hand, you know, we're going to disperse the, the vast majority of that into either – you know, maybe another rental property. Uh, we're going to put it, you know, into uh, either some of the blue chip stocks that we own or mutual funds or ETFs in our taxable account. You know, there may be a reshuffling of the assets, the assets that we have now and getting that cash down. But yeah, right now, instead of, uh, you know, accumulators, we're, you know, we're kind of using what we have now instead of, you know, accumulating with the hopes that, you know, the the growth of the port, the overall portfolio is more obviously than what we're, you know, what we're spending. I, and I believe that, you know, with our lifestyle and what we do, uh, you know, I, I would hope my net worth would be, you know, well beyond the 6.2 whenever, you know, our estate passes on to our daughter. Yeah. Good for you. As much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your range of household income since you started working? Uh, boy, when I started in 87, that was a very low, uh, <laughs> range when I started. I think I started there at the company making $10 an hour. I think it was, well, about $500 a week was what I was making in 87 when I, when they first uh, started working full time. And, uh, again, the range is very greatly, but I think the best year combined that we ever had with my income and my wife's income was about 800,000. And then what were you making when you left the company? Uh, let's see. I guess guaranteed income, I was at about a quarter of a million dollars. We had always kind of kept our salaries low, but uh, the balance of the money uh, or the bulk of it rather came in through, you know, profitability and, you know, just shareholder distributions, depending on how the company did that year. Yeah. So you're making 250 salary, let's say another, I don't know what it was, another hundred, whatever, maybe it's more, maybe it's 300, I don't know, whatever you're pulling out of profits, 
Did you say, gee, if I could work one more year, that's another three, four, five hundred grand? Well, there's always, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a big what if kind of guy and let's run just a right. possible scenario. <laughs> right, right. And I think I actually did that over the summer while, uh, you know, uh, I was thinking running this through. But, you know, it really came down to a point of I really started to notice that things that, you know, were just normal, everyday problems that you have running a business, whether it's construction or whatever, things that would just be, okay, yeah, it's on my desk, let's handle it, move it off, was beginning to really bother me you know, stuff that just really shouldn't have. And I think I was doing a disservice to myself, to my family and, you know, to my company and to my partners, because I just wasn't, you know, just handling the day-to-day minutiae that you have to handle doing that. And that's really was the deciding factor. It's, I'm just not doing anybody any good at that point in time, or, or as good as I think the company needs to be run you know, and I was coming home a lot more frustrated and irritated from a day's work, you know, with my wife than uh, than I should have been. And the same stuff that that was rolling off my back 10 years ago just was not rolling off my back. And it just it, it was just one of those things. It's 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 very hard to put into words. But when it's time, you just know. And it was time. Oh, I get it. Yeah. No, it makes a difference. You don't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So your allocation here, you're pretty split. I mean, you got about what, 2.5 or so, a little over 2 million in the market, a million in home equity, about a million in real estate, a million in cash. How did that allocation come to be? Is that something you went after or did it just kind of happen here? The allocation, the, the breakdown in the uh, the accounts is something that, that happened through, you know, consulting with my financial advisor, whether it was, you know, whether it's bonds or ETFs or mutual funds or, or individual stocks. The rental properties and uh, and I also own part of a commercial building there that uh, my former company uh, occupies, too. And I've probably got about a quarter of a million dollars equity in that. And it's uh, I had a friend of mine that, you know, had invested in rental properties and he actually does some property management. And, you know, about five or six years ago, he had a deal. Uh, some off-market rental properties came up and he, you know, kind of talked me into it that it would be a, you know, a good way to diversify. And I talked with my accountant and he kind of agreed with it. And it was a really good deal. And he assured me that, look, you know, if, if you if you buy them and, you know, I'll manage them for you if you want me to. And if you don't like them, he was going to purchase them back from me, you know, and, and get rid of them. So it was really kind of a no-lose deal. And, uh you know, they really turned out to be great investments. So, and I ended up selling one of those original ones and buying some other ones. And, you know, we flipped a couple of properties together uh, over the last five or six years. But um, I just thought it was a real good way to diversify. And, you know, and I didn't have a pension or a 401k at my company to, to kind of draw on from when it retired. And so I kind of the rental properties and the commercial building income that I have is I just kind of built my own pension. You know, it's, uh, you know, there's there's X number of dollars yeah. in. I don't have to worry too much about market fluctuations. And, you know, those checks show up, you know, at the first of the month like clockwork. So, wow. And so nine rental homes, are they all in the same area as you? Uh, it's actually eight in one commercial building. But, yeah, I would say that uh, I can drive to all of them in no more than 20, 25 minutes. And do you man- you don't manage them, right? No, uh, that buddy of mine. That, that, that friend of yours does. Okay. And what is, they're all paid off? 
Yeah, there's a, other than the, the commercial building has about an $80,000 note on it. And the only reason it's not paid off is because the other partners in the building, everything's cross collateralized. So I didn't pay my off, but uh, all of my individual rental properties, uh, those eight rental homes, they're all paid off. Okay. Wow. So that's, what, what is that then? $100,000 homes, give or take? Yeah, I would say they probably average, you know, 110 to 125, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. And so what's your net cash flow from those a month? Uh, after I pay his management fees, not counting, um, you know, maintenance or property taxes, I get about seventy-two, seventy $7,300 a month. Wow. That's great. So that almost covers your living expenses if you were saying eight or nine. Yes, yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Like I said, you know, between that right now and my wife's salary, we're actually still able to save a little bit of money uh, every month. So, yeah. So you're thinking about buying more or is this is nine real estate properties enough for you? No, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm sitting on, uh, again, quite a bit of cash if I could find the right deal. But right now, finding the right deal is very, very difficult to come by. Uh, yeah. And that's why I'm kind of I'm kind of holding a little bit of cash back in the assumption that maybe, you know, the next 12, 18 months, the market might soften a little bit. I, I would like to get again, if the right deal come along, you know, nine, maybe even 10 rental houses. So I know you have more cash now, obviously, because of the sale of the business. We've talked about that. But throughout your life and, and as you've invested, how have you managed excess cash? Is it something you've tried to keep to a minimum or a certain balance and you've put it in the market? Or, I mean, you know, I think the question is for a lot of people right now is where the market's at and not being able to find a good real estate deal is what do I do with this cash? So throughout your life, when you had excess cash, did you invest it right away or were you okay with holding cash and waiting for an opportunity? Really, during my working career, I just, if there was excess cash there, now I've always held about 12 months worth of living expenses in a money market account. You know, and I think most people would tell you, you know, three to six months, but I've, I've always held 12. But I've pretty much just, you know, I've looked at anything that I put in my, in the market was a long term investment. And I didn't really try to time the market. If I had it, I put it in there because, you know, hey, over the course of five, 10, 15, 20 years trying to time the market. I, I just, I didn't, A, I didn't think I was smart enough to do that. And I just don't personally don't think that's the right way to do it. Uh, if you've got that kind of time horizon, just dump it in and let the market do what the market's going to do. Uh, now, and, and I'm not really trying to time the market now. I'm looking at more of, you know, what is Washington going to do and just trying to be prudent with just, you know, dollar cost averaging a little bit in along the way. My financial advisor and I kind of sat down with, you know, we're trying to get it back to what I consider a normal cash level, which is about a year's worth of living expenses over about the next 18 months is what we're looking at. James, what role has your wife played in this journey in accumulating this net worth? Uh, she's like me. She's always worked, always, uh, you know, brought home a, a, a nice salary. Uh, and she does have a 401k at where she works and she's, she's working through the end of the year. And then she's, uh, the company she's working for is actually in the process of shutting down. So, but yeah, I mean, I've truly looked at her as a partner through all of this. Uh, you know, I, I've learned the hard way to definitely bounce across her any ideas and, you know, Hey, what do you think about getting into rental property? And, you know, what do you think about buying this house and where do you think we should put money? But yeah, we, we look at that as a partnership, you know, as far as handling the finances here. I may do the nuts and bolts of it in the daily routines of whatever needs to be done, but, you know, we don't make any decisions without running it by each other. Yeah, totally. What are you doing about health insurance? I know that's common 
for, for guests on our show and listeners about those that retire before, you know, a traditional age, what do you do about health insurance and how do you go about it? I'm just curious what's your take on it and what you're doing. Well, right now we're actually still getting uh, health insurance through the company that she's working for. Uh, so it's not an issue now. Uh, but after the end of the year, we're going to have to look to whether that's getting on the uh, the exchange and, and getting a, you know, a personal policy or just, you know, going out on our own and whatever we need to do. But, uh, but yeah, that is a bridge that we're going to have to cross at the end of the year. But right now it's not an issue because I've never drawn the health insurance from my my company. I always drew it off of her. She actually had a better plan where she worked. Is there anything that worries you going forward, whether it be inflation or, or some other outside risk to, to your plan or retirement plan or portfolio? Yeah. I mean, you know, financially, I've, I've always been the warrior of the two as far as our household, you know, and, and you know, the, the way Washington is spending money now, I think inflation is something that's definitely going to be on the horizon. Um, raising corporate taxes is normally not real great for the stock market. And that's something that, you know, uh, trying to keep an eye on. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, uh, I think Warren Buffett says, you know, you just don't bet against America. You know, we, you know, capitalism always finds a way and, you know, putting money in, uh, you know, good, solid blue chip type companies and, you know, uh, mutual funds and ETFs. I just think that's the, the the right approach to do it. And then too, you know, we are somewhat diversified with the with real estate and so forth. And uh, I think through the diversity that we have, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll be fine. James, you're holding up pretty strong here because we just keep rapid firing questions at you. <laughs> All different sorts of stuff here. Yeah, I made a few notes. Hopefully, it's uh, <laughs> kind of what you're looking for anyway. No, it's great. It's been a great interview. I just I got a couple more for you. So, I mean, you're young, 50s, net worth over $6 million. Is that more than you thought you would have? Did you have a goal of some number? Uh, I was just hoping I could put food on the table and feed the family. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a couple of years of college and, uh, the university I went to somewhere in my sophomore year, we both decided it was in our best interest to part company. And, uh, I went to work for, uh, for my father and, you know, I never in my wildest imagination thought that, you know, I could retire at this age. Uh, but my father, when I saw him do it, there in, I believe it was 96 when he retired. Okay. Yeah. This, this is an attainable goal, you know, uh, cause he retired when he was 56 and, you know, and I thought, well, you know, it's, I may not get there, but I certainly am going to try because if he was able to do it, I felt like I, I owed it to my family to, to at least give it uh, as good a, good a shot at it as I could. So, but yeah, we're, we're very fortunate, very blessed that, uh, that we were, you know, able to, you know, not only to retire early and to provide a, you know, a, a lifestyle that quite honestly, when I first started working was probably beyond my, my wildest imagination, but we were also able to get my daughter through private school and all the way through a doctorate degree with no student loan debt. Amazing. Amazing. So we, what, we, what did you study? Did you go to college? Uh, yeah, I studied uh, economics, but I, I, I'm not, I did not get a degree. Okay. So as you look back on this whole journey and this whole conversation we've just had and, and your net worth, is is there a couple things, one, two, three things that you could point to and say, hey, that's where I'm at? Is it your work ethic? Was it your drive? Was it taking risks with a smaller company and real estate? I mean, what's really driven this here? You know, the I guess the, the two things that I always felt that I was good at was recognizing an opportunity 
and, you know, being smart enough to, you know, take that opportunity, whether that was, you know, buying into, you know, our company at the right time, uh, whether that was, you know, with the, the, the rental properties or whatever, I always thought I kind of, I had a, I had a knack for seeing that as a, as a good thing. Uh, and I was also smart enough just to surround myself with some really good people, whether it was, uh, employees or partners at my former company or, you know, I've got a great financial advisor now. Uh, the guy that's helped me through with the rental properties is a, a great guy and he treats my properties as better, uh, probably better than he treats his own. So, you know, surrounding myself with good folks and letting them do what they do. Yeah, nice. So, well, let's wrap it up here with some rapid fire questions and then general advice. Um, what's been the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Uh, my wife drives a Porsche Cayenne 75 for it when it was new. Okay. How many hours a week do you watch TV? Oh, wow. I would say four or five, maybe. Okay. Um, how many books a year do you read? 12 to 15. Okay. Uh, any podcasts or websites, anything you recommend? Uh, yours, uh, is a great one. Uh, I also like, uh, heck, let me pull my phone up right quick. I'll tell you a couple of ones I've got on there. Uh, the West Moss Retire Sooner. I enjoy that one. And also the Money Guy podcast. I enjoy that one. Okay. Nice. We've had them on the show. What does it mean to be happy or fulfilled to you? And, and has that changed throughout your life? Yeah, it really has. I mean, before it was, uh, you know, when you're younger, I think, you know, you look at, you know, maybe things and yourself a little more. But now, you know, when, you know, my daughter calls up and she, matter of fact, this week, she just passed her comprehensive exams and hearing her excitement of getting past that hurdle in her doctorate degree and watching her accomplish things and, you know, seeing my wife healthy and happy, though, that's that's the important stuff nowadays. Relationships, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, just in closing, James, any last words? I mean, any mistakes you made or overall general advice to somebody who's just starting out here? Yeah. You know, the the one thing that I would say, uh, you know, even to myself, if I could have, you know, talked to myself 20 years ago was, you know, just educate yourself in finances. I mean, I'm not a, you know, a, a formally educated individual when it comes to degrees or, you know, that type of thing. But, I became a, a really big, you know, reader, studier of, you know, how to invest and not that I felt like I wanted to do it on my own. I've always liked to have a financial advisor, but I wanted to be an educated consumer of the product that he was selling to me. So, I mean, at the end of the day, he is an advisor. And uh, the one thing I had to learn the hard way, the final decision of what an advisor does with your money is yours. And if it doesn't go right, uh, he may have been the one to shift the money around, but the final say-so is yours and you need to educate yourself and to make sure that, you know, he is doing what, you know, at the end of the day, what, what you want him to do, whether that's truly his advice or not. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for asking our rapid, or all of our questions here. So awesome uh, story, awesome interview, net worth of 6.2. Thanks again, James. Thank y'all. Thanks, James. That was awesome. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.